We want to continue to worship God by reading our scripture lessons for today. The first text is a classic text, a text that's much misunderstood by a large proportion of the world. It's Isaiah chapter 53. The question to ask yourself as you read this or as we read this together is to whom would these verses apply? Can you think of anyone? And if someone were thinking of these verses and taking them personally, what would that mean? So listen here to God's Word. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately former majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth." But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities." Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Amen. Our gospel text today is from Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 46. The Pharisees have been questioning Jesus, trying to trip him up and cause him to stumble. He answers their questions appropriately and discreetly for them. And then he has a question for them. And that's what we read about today. Listen here again to God's Word. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David calls him Lord, 
How is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. Amen. And our primary text today is from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. During this summer of 2019, we're preaching our way through the book of Hebrews, a chapter a week, So we get to some of the later ones, longer ones, we'll take a couple of weeks for each chapter. But this is our fifth week in, and this is the chapter. And it's a very fascinating chapter. Causes us to wonder about some things, perhaps. Listen here to God's Word. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, that is because of his weakness, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says in another passage, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation." being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's Word, which we've read. Heavenly Father, we call upon You to come and do Your good work among us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are mere humans. We can't speak and we can't hear as well as we ought. So we are dependent upon you, the work of your Holy Spirit. So be gracious to us, feed us, give us life and breath, spiritually as well as materially. These things we ask through Christ Jesus, our Savior, the Lord of all. Amen. Jesus had a problem. The Jews had a problem. The early church had a problem. The problem is this. How can Jesus be high priest? He's from David's line. That means he's from the line of kings, not priests. He was a king. Remember what Pilate said? Are you a king? Well, yes. And the sign that Pilate had put above his head on the cross? Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And as we've said many times, that was a, a right and correct, legitimate sign to be above the head of the Lord Jesus. Well, perhaps from his mother's side, 
since she was a first cousin of Zacharias and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, they were both from the Aaronic, the Aaron, the high priest, from his descent, and so she was the first cousin, perhaps through there. And yet, Scripture makes no point of that connection, but it only points to Joseph's line, who was descended from David. In addition to that, this issue with how can Jesus, who's the son of David in the kingly line, how can he be a high priest? There's the example in the Old Testament of King Uzziah. Uzziah lived a long time. He, got, he was very good, very prosperous king, but he eventually became arrogant and he said, I want to offer the, the sacrifices as well. I want to be a priest. And so he took to himself the task of doing it, and he did that. He offered sacrifices and God struck him with leprosy to the day of his death. So there's that example there. Still, in this epistle of, to the Hebrews, Jesus is called high priest no less than 10 times. And his being called high priest is in agreement with all the New Testament, with all the churches teaching and understanding of, of who he is and what it is that he did. Now, <clears throat> that's the problem, okay, laid out here. How can, how can Jesus be a high priest? Well, Jesus of Nazareth had to work this out. Here's what we know. Well, when I say Jesus of Nazareth had to work this out, Jesus of Nazareth, the little baby who was born, who grew, uh, we know who he was. He was the son of God. He was divine. He was God come in the flesh. How can that be? He was the incarnation of God. This cannot be denied without leaving Christian orthodoxy. If you deny that God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, if you deny that, you're no longer within the realms of genuine Christian faith. We also know that Jesus of Nazareth, while being truly God, was also truly man, truly human. He was the last Adam. He had a true human nature. Except it was not fallen. He's called the last Adam. The first Adam had fallen, and all the nature since then were that way. He was, had come back as a, not come back, but he had been sent as the last Adam, without a, a true human nature, but not a fallen human nature. So my question is this, how does Jesus of Nazareth grow up and reconcile those two realities of his identity? How can I be divine and how can I be human? What does that look like? How do I live that out? Did it cause any difficulties in his mind? Did he think he was schizophrenic? <laughs> you know? You have all those kind of, you, you wonder, we just take it for granted. We just say, well, we've been taught this all along. We just believe it. Well, no, the question is, is how did he, in his growing up, how did he understand this? How did he work that out? And that's what we want to address today. That's to some degree what I think Hebrews chapter 5 is about. His years in Nazareth were 30. All those years were silent once the events surrounding his birth, <clears throat> circumcision were taken care of. All those 30 years until he came out and confessed himself, who he was, were silent except for what? The one exception was in Luke chapter 2 when he was 12 years old 
And he made the annual trek with his parents, like they always did, from Nazareth up to Jerusalem, which was to the south, but it was higher in elevation, uh, to Jerusalem for the Passover. Uh, for some reason, when he was 12 years old, he decided to stay in Jerusalem and stay in the temple area and converse back and forth with the priests, with the scribes, with the people who were there in the temple complex. His parents did not realize until they were a couple days down the road that he was not with the, the whole clan, the whole people from Nazareth who were coming back. Where is he? So if we put up the, the uh, first thing, Luke 2.49, his parents come back and they ask him, don't you know we're worried? Where, 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 what, what's this irresponsible thing you've done by staying here and causing us this grief? And Jesus said to them, why is it that you're looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? So by the time he's 12 years old, he's aware of and able to talk to someone about the fact that God's his father in a special way. And that the temple is God's house, and so that's where I belong, is there. Uh, and we don't have the text before us, but it, it says that he held his own with the, the scholars and guys who were there. He asked them questions and they, that they had never heard before. <clears throat> it was a truly profound thing. Uh, but what did he do? So let's do the next verse up here. His parents said, you come on back. And so he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. So for the next 18 years, he's in Nazareth. We presume he made the annual trek to the Passover, maybe perhaps other Jewish feasts with his parents and family. But he's in subjection to his parents, is what the text says. Uh, there's no more staying behind by himself. I think of that particular verse in Hebrews 5, where it says about the high priest that no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he's called and it's given to him by God. So Jesus is waiting. Doesn't know what for, for how long perhaps, but he's waiting for confirmation of who he is and what he is to do. So for the next 18 years, after that incident in Luke 2, he looks just like a normal person in terms of all his interaction with people around him. Now, what was going on during that time? What's the next slide say, Andy? And Jesus, this talks about those 18 years, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature. That is, his mind, his soul continued to grow. His body continued to grow. He got taller, heavier, and in favor with God and men. So there was a maturation process that was going on in the life, the soul, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what did he think about? What was his going on in his brain, his soul during those 18 years? Do we have any clues? And I think we do. We have a couple we want to look at today. The first one we read, Matthew 22, 41 through 46. 
he asks them a question. Uh, who, who do you think the Christ is? Well, he's the son of David. Well, how can he be David's son if David calls him Lord? Now, that's from Psalm 110. And uh, so, obviously, Jesus has been pondering and meditating on Psalm 110 for a while. He asked them this question. Now, it, it refers to somebody, but David calls him Lord, so it can't just be someone after him. It has to be someone before him. Someone who existed before him. I would suggest that part of what goes on here is Jesus' humanity is trying to come to grips with his divinity. You know, the Quran, Mark Twain, and all kinds of pseudepigraphal works have stories about those 18 years. They all, everyone speculates about it. The Bible's silent about it, except for these clues we have here, but they speculate. Uh, one of the most famous stories is that both the Quran says this, and Mark Twain has a short story that tells about this, is that Jesus as a young lad was taking mud and making clay birds, fashioning them. And then he gave them life, and there they were. And they flew away. And depending on who you read, there's different accounts. There's somewhere he would tear their wings off and watch them die. But did Jesus do stuff like that? We have no clue. We suspect not. If we needed to know, he would have told us. So there's all this speculation, yet our texts that we saw from Luke 2, as well as from Hebrews 5 here, says that he was submitting himself during all this time. He went back and he submitted himself to his parents. And it says here that he didn't come forth and say that he was a high priest until God called him to do so. Uh, and so I think those texts on submitting are key to what goes on in his life. Now, it's not easy for him, I don't believe, to hold on in his humanity to the fact that I am the Son of God. And you think about that, I mean, we, we just sort of take it for granted because we've, we've known that, we've thought that, understood that all our lives, but how about him? His human mind. It had to grow into mature. Now, I would suggest that there's two times in particular where the Father, God, really confirms to the Lord Jesus who Jesus is. One time is at his baptism. He is coming forth where, you know, he, this is at the end of the 18 years. He comes forth publicly to, to uh, uh, Israel and says, and gets baptized. Do you remember what happens? He comes up from the water. The Holy Spirit comes down as a dove upon him. But a voice speaks from heaven. What does it say, Andy? After being baptized, behold, a voice out of heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That is, there's a direct confirmation from the Father to Jesus of Nazareth. You're right. You're exactly right. I want all the world to know. 
This, this one here, Jesus of Nazareth, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. <coughs> That's a divine affirmation in the strongest terms possible for what Jesus has understood and come to understand about himself. There's another time. It's in the midst of his ministry, but it's called the transfiguration. Do you remember the, the transfiguration? Jesus takes three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, goes up to the mount, a mountain, and there he's transfigured. By that, it means his, his divinity shines through. And they, they fall down in fear, and, all that, and a cloud overshadows them. But listen to what is said. There's something that, that is spoken. And he was transfigured before them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, think of the glory cloud, think of the Shekinah cloud, the glory of God, the voice said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Wow. So twice, there's two witnesses there, twice, God the Father speaks from heaven to this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who's also the Son of God, and says, this is my beloved Son. I'm well pleased with all that He's doing and all that He's saying and all that He's teaching. I'm well pleased with that. And this time, He had something more. He says to those who would be His disciples, listen to Him. Believe Him. Again, a powerful divine affirmation. Now, the quote that we read from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5, is from Psalm 2. And uh, it's the basis for this voice to speak. So, show us, Andy, what Psalm 2 says. You have that one? Do you say no? Oh, he does. Thank you. Now, this is Psalm 2. We, we've read, you know, the first part tells about how the nations rage and they want to shake off the fetters from God and all that. And then it says that he who sits in the heaven scoffs, but he also speaks then says, here's what I'm going to do. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. So that's exactly what the, the, the voice has said. Behold my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And here in Psalm 2, this is broader than what we're looking at today, but just note that Jesus is going to inherit everything. He's going to rule over everything. He's going to give him the very ends of the earth as his possession. Now, Psalm 2 is a prophetic psalm, but it's used here in Hebrews chapter 5. So, thank you. You can take that down. So, in the midst of his ministry, of Jesus' ministry, we see his understanding of Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. I think the best place we see it is in the key is Isaiah 53, which we, we read. It's about the suffering servant. And the Jewish nation still doesn't know what to make of this. What, what, what is that? What's going on? How, how has this happened? And it's about the priest who serves, but he's also the, the priest is also the sacrifice himself, the one who, who is smitten, the one who's crushed, the one who pours out his soul for the sins of his people. 
He's the servant of the Lord. That's how the, the last word, he's the servant of the Lord. And Jesus, <clears throat> during those 18 years, actually the first 30 years of his life, I'm sure, reflected regularly and thought about what does Psalm, no, no, what does Isaiah 53 mean? And then eventually, what does it mean for me? Isaiah 53, what does it mean for me? Uh, he's trying to come to grips with all this. Well, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, have they been ministering with him for a while? Who do men say that I am? They say this, that, and the other. But who do you say that I am? They say, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, well said. Flesh and blood do not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Right? Uh, and then he begins to teach them. Put up what he begins to teach them, Andy. Nope. Do you have, uh, you don't have uh, Matthew 16? I sent that a little bit later. Maybe Michael didn't get that one. Here's what he tells them. Let me read it to you. From that day, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. He had come to see, and he had to teach that this, this is what I'm called to do as the Messiah, as the called one of God, the servant of the Lord. I'm to go up there and be sacrificed, and the disciples can hardly believe it. And Peter takes him aside and says, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. No one thinks the Messiah like that. No one takes Isaiah 53 and applies it to themselves. No, 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 that'll never happen to you. What does Jesus do? He turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You're causing me to have difficulties. For you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. So Jesus understood the office of Messiah differently than anyone else in his time did. He understood it properly, understood it correctly, the way the whole Bible had taught it, but no one else had seen that, was not able to, to identify that. And so here we have, in Hebrews chapter 5, the solution. It's a guy named Melchizedek. The two verses that are quoted here by the writer of Hebrews is from Psalm 2, you are my son, today I begot you, and from Psalm 110, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now let's put up Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's the very verse that Jesus referred to in Matthew 22. He'd been thinking about that. He says, who does that refer to? And his obvious thing is that it refers to me. It refers to me. I'm the one who pre-existed David. Even Abraham saw my day and was glad. Remember that? He teaches that in John. Even Abraham saw my, well, David did too. <laughs> Do you guys? You see, is what he's saying. Uh, 
We know Jesus is thinking about this psalm because of what he says in, in Matthew 22. Now, what's the next one about Melchizedek? This is verse 4, I think it is. Yeah. The Lord, this is in the same psalm, just a few verses down. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Huh? Huh? Melchizedek was something unique. He appears in Genesis 14, and then he's gone. He's the one to whom Abraham pays tithes. Now, when we get to chapter 7 in two weeks, there'll be more about Melchizedek, perhaps. That's where it really deals with this. But what we need to see here is that Jesus understands himself to be Melchizedek. That God has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. It's part of his identity. He's king, but he's also priest. So Jesus lived out, that is to say, he fulfilled Isaiah 53, Psalm 2, and Psalm 110. This was not easily lived out. This was not easily fulfilled. We can skip over verse 7 if we want to, but we dare not. 7 and 8. It tells of his loud crying and tears. He was in pain. He was in agony. He was hurting. Oh, he was in despair. God, what's going on? All the, you know, my God, my God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me in the Garden of Gethsemane. He sweat drops of blood. And yet, just like with his parents from Nazareth to his heavenly father, he says, not my will, but your will be done. Right? Remember that? Calvary likewise. Hang on across. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, but you know that Psalm 22 goes on and he entrusts himself to God. I, I'm here. I, I, could, I could call 10,000 angels to be free, but I'm, I'm here because of you, God. Isaiah 53, what you've done. And it says here, he was heard because of his piety. Now, piety there means the genuine fear of the Lord. Not just a token or a nominal fear of God, but a genuine heartfelt fear of God. He wanted to do God's will above all else. I want to do your word. I want to do your will. Reveal it to me, please. And so as a consequence, it says, he became to all those who obey him, the source of eternal salvation. He is perfect. He's not just innocent. He was born innocent. He was born without a fallen nature. He's born with a human nature, but not a fallen one. He's born innocent. But he grows and becomes mature and becomes perfect, tempted, and always yielding to the Father, always doing the, God, the Lord's will, even to the point where he, he poured out his lifeblood for the sins of his people. It says he's the source of eternal salvation. It's not a momentary thing. It's eternal. Good for here and good for eternity. Now here's an application for us. If you have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been born again truly, 
Now, we're not saying that you prayed a sinner's prayer. We're not saying you responded to an altar call. We're not saying you did any of these kinds. Of, we're not saying you've been confirmed or any of those things. We're saying if God has changed your life, has come in and caused you to be born again, you have a different spirit. You have a new heart. And you, like Jesus, will go through life with plenty of difficulties, plenty of challenges. But all along the way, no matter if your difficulty is relational with someone, if it's personal with your own sin, if it's, if it's vocational, health, whatever it may be, you have beating within you the affirmation that you're the Lord's. He's redeemed you. You're mine. You know, Isaiah 40, you're mine. I've claimed you. When you go through the fire, I'll be with you. Through the waters, they will not overflow you. We sung that this morning. <clears throat> we have that regardless of the waves all around us. We have the assurance, despite the crash of that, that God's with us. Now, I would like to solve a, an answer or solve a problem to the end of Psalm 110. Uh, go ahead and put that up here, will you please? Here's Psalm 110, verses 5 and 6. Here's how that whole thing ends. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. Go ahead, the next one. He will drink, that is, this is the servant. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. My suggestion to you is this. My declaration to you is this. Just like the Lord Jesus, in all his life, God came through and affirmed, this is my beloved son. Yes, you're a priest forever. I will not change my mind. He reaffirmed at various times in Jesus' life as he's going on, those were little streams of water. And it lifted up his head. It made him able to go through that. May I say to you, may I say to us, if Christ has made you his own, if Christ has died for you and put a new spirit within you, despite all the things that go on around us, always there'll be that brook by the wayside. There'll always be that light at the end of the tunnel, never darkness entirely. Now, some days it's brighter, some days it's deeper, but always there. Because Jesus is our perfect high priest. He died for us to take away our sin to give us his life, that we might live and reign with him forever. Amen.